Technicolor photograph by Navy Marine Corps, Coast Guard, and Army camera men. So this is no amateur production. This is official, legit. Entitled The Secret Land Apparition. Hey, you high? Yeah, jump. We gratefully acknowledge our indebtedness to the U.S. Navy, which made possible. The presentation of this authentic film of the Navy's recent expedition, Operation High Jump, to the secret blah blah blah, Tita. It's it. I can't. It's blocked. I can't read it. <laughs> Seven seas. Oh. 
materials left in the world, and that's in the region known as Antarctica, an area larger than the combined area of the United States and Europe. And Europe. The American government is sending a naval expedition to that region. Mm. The purpose is to train our Navy in polar operations. Hmm? So the purpose is what? The American government is sending a naval expedition to that region. The purpose is to train our Navy in polar operations so that it... What? The American government is sending a naval expedition to that region. The purpose is to train our Navy in polar operations. Train our Navy in polar operation. P.O. Box. So that it may better perform its function of preserving the peace upon the seven seas of the world. Beyond that, upon the seven seas, Stella Marina. American government is seeking to do its share in the discovery and the release to the world of the unknown treasures of Antarctica mm. in the interest of all mankind. Mm -hmm. Are you pirates or what? Mm-hmm. Let's visit the Chief of Naval Operations, Mr. Admiral Chester W. Is that an N or M? I'm going to say N. Nimitz, comma, USI. Okay. Thumbs up to this, gentlemen. The Secretary has approved our plans. Confirming you, Admiral Byrd, as the officer in charge of the expedition. Who's in charge? Admiral Byrd. Like a birdie. Larkin. All that good stuff. Whatever. Thumbs up to this, gentlemen. The secretary has approved our plans. Confirming you, Admiral Byrd, as the officer in charge of the expedition. And you, Admiral Cruzen, as the task force commander. Task force commander. Bye bye, buddy. I don't love you so. Bye bye, buddy. Confirming you, Admiral Byrd, as the officer in charge of the expedition, and you, Admiral Cruzen, as the task force commander. Oh yeah, we're cruising. I love it. Cruising. I love that. Well, Gwyneth Paltrow cruising, and Huey Lewis. Oh yeah. And we get everything we need. That makes Operation High Jump the greatest polar expedition in history. Grab your parachutes. You're gonna need it. Star Trek Voyager Enterprise. Find away. Yes, 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 I see the map. Admiral Time is going to be our greatest handicap. By the time we get through this very difficult ice pack, the greatest polar expedition in history. And you, Admiral Cruzen, as the task force commander. And we get everything we need. That makes Operation High Jump the greatest polar expedition in history. Admiral Time is going to be our greatest handicap. By the time... What's going to be our greatest handicap? And we get everything we need. That makes Operation High Jump the greatest polar expedition in history. 
Admiral Time is going to be our greatest handicap. Admiralty Time. And we got everything we need. That makes Operation High Jump the greatest polar expedition in history. Admiral Time is going to be our greatest handicap. Hashtag Admiral, Admiral Time. Admiralty Law. By the time we get through this very difficult ice pack, the summer will have ended and the fall will have set in. They need to go through an ice pack. IP, ice pick, I pack. There's a pack of ice. Before, and then that's November. It's November now. Handicap. By the time we get through this very difficult ice pack, the summer will have ended and the fall will have set in. Never before has anyone attempted to take a fleet of thin-skinned steel ships through 300 miles or more of crushing ice pack. I have great faith in your skill, courage, and determination. Now, gentlemen. Admiral Nimitz reviews the operations plan. The expedition will comprise three groups. A central land plane group to explore the interior from Little Number one, land planes group. Operation. Oh, by land, by sea, by air. Got it. Plan. The expedition will comprise three groups. A central land plane group to explore the interior from Little America and two seaplane groups, the eastern to map that half. From Little America. That's the spot they call like toward the edge where they first landed. Interesting, isn't it? In it. Operations plan. The expedition will comprise three groups. A central land plane group to explore. St. Columbus, St. Columbus, St. Columbus. Great Explorer, Civilization Revolution, Great Explorer. And now, gentlemen. Admiral Nimitz reviews the operations plan. The expedition will comprise three groups. A central land plane group to explore the interior from Little America and two seaplane groups, the eastern to map that half of the continental shoreline and the western to map the opposite coast of Antarctica. Okay, I cannot do two things at the same time. It's, it's too, I can't do it. I can't okay. do it. Group to explore the interior from Little America and two seaplane groups, the eastern to map that half of the continental shoreline and the western to map the opposite coast of Antarctica. Okay, one by sea, one by land, two by sea. Hello? One by, one by land, two by sea. Hello? Ugh. Man on a horse, lanterns, British are coming. Hello? After the original orders have been issued, three months of planning are needed to organize the giant venture. This is Robert Taylor speaking. At the world's greatest naval base, Norfolk, Virginia, ships of the Central and Eastern groups are loading. The flagship, Mount Olympus, equipped with powerful radio and... Mount Olympus? Are you serious? That's the name of the ship that you're christening? Seriously? Okay, then. This is Robert Taylor speaking. At the world's greatest... Say it. The whole ship is... Good. The whole ship is christened. Columbus? Columbus? Nina, Pinta, Santa Maria. Salve, Regina! 
After the original orders have been issued, three months of planning are needed to organize the giant venture. How many months of planning? One, two, three. Count Dracula. After the original orders have been issued, three months of planning are needed to organize the giant venture. This is Robert Taylor speaking. At the world's greatest naval base, Norfolk, Virginia, ships of the Central and Eastern... Virginia. Hello, Virginia. Mm -hmm. ...are loading. The flagship, Mount Olympus, equipped with powerful radio and radar, will serve... Mount Olympus is leaving Virginia, D.C. metro area. Thank you. Mother Mary says thank you. Virgin Mary, Maryland, D.C. area. ...serve as the leader's voice of command. Admirals Byrd and Cruzen come aboard to check staff preparations, food, fuel, and clothing for 4,000. Byrd greets out the expedition. Not a few vessels, but a fleet. Officers and men, not hundreds, but thousands, and pilots by the score. The chief of staff, Captain Quackenbush, calls up the fleet's youngest recruit to meet the admirals, who name them Running Jump and High Jump. You hear that? There's jump, and there's high jump. You know, ever since I'm so tired of people accusing me of being on drugs just because I'm happy. Joyful much? No. Depressed, are you? Taking all those meds with all those side effects that make you go poo-poo? <sighs> Chief of Staff, Captain Quackenbush, calls up the fleet's youngest recruit to meet the admirals. Who named them Running Jump and High Jump. The pups are unimpressed by rank. Running Jumpsit, New Hampshire, where sailors are learning the art of navigating dog sleds. Everything happens to sailors. But soon they come to understand and to love the huskies. They watch their dogs carefully to see that they have enough to drink and enough to eat. And always at the right time. Dog Watch Blue Jackets practice the patient care that will keep the dogs in prime form. Not only food, daily attention to their eyes so that they may not suffer the dreaded Arctic snow blindness. So you know how to take care of dogs. You don't think God takes care of them better than you? Hello? And the inevitable vitamin pill. And even dogs can't escape these days of ABCD health. The boys learn all the tricks. Tickling of the throat and a pat on the nose. Get the pills down. The dog sleds are the small boats of the Antarctic. Each carries 600 pounds with 10 dogs hauling. Each dog's harness is tailor-made, carefully fitted to avoid the chafing that has been fatal to many a sled dog at below zero temperatures. The huskies' paws are equally important. There are canine snowshoes, precisely notched for the pulling claws. Wow, that's cool. In cut-down auto chassis, the sailor drivers finish training. Huskies so often have meant life itself to Admiral Bird that he calls them his Antarctic Life Insurance Company. <laughs> From Norfolk, Admiral Cruzen said... I wonder, I wonder how the insurance industry is doing right about now. ...sails aboard the Mount Olympus. His crews are a cross-section of the country's manhood. Admiral Bird will follow later in the carrier, Philippine Sea. The Coast Guard icebreaker, North Wind. Philip Ian C. 
powerful plow horse of the expedition backs out. The seaplane tender, Pine Island, is first to stand out to sea. Pining Island? <laughs> Terpene? Steaming south via the Panama Canal, the fleet must cover 12,000 miles to reach Antarctica. At the 12,000 miles? Meridian West, the groups are to separate, and the central group proceed to a rendezvous point at Scott Island. At the 100th Meridian West, the groups are to separate and... 100th Meridian West. The groups are to separate and rendezvous. Win. Powerful plow horse of the expedition backs out. The seaplane tender, Pine Island, is first to stand out to sea. Steaming south via the Panama Canal, the fleet must cover 12,000... Oh, Panama Canal. Y'all know the story about Panama Canal? Do you know the significance of Panama Canal? Yeah. Creature from Jekyll Island. You're welcome. The seaplane tender, Pine Island, is first to stand out to sea. Steaming south... Jack Hare with three R's, dot com. Via the Panama Canal... The fleet must cover 12,000 miles to reach Antarctica. At the 100th Meridian West, the groups are to separate, and the central group proceed to a rendezvous point at Scott Island. This is Van Heflin speaking. Like Scotland? Power to the Irish? <laughs> Sailing day at San Diego. St. Patrick! ...finds the Western Group helicopters practicing final pinpoint landings on the newly installed helicopter flight deck of the seaplane tender Curry Tuck. They are to serve as eyes of the fleet when it buffets through the pack ice. And when need be... Eyes everywhere in the sky. Interesting, isn't it? ...pinpoint landings on the newly installed helicopter flight deck of the seaplane tender Curry Tuck. They are to serve as eyes of the fleet when it buffets through the pack ice, and when need be, to go on rescue missions. For exploration, three Martin Mariners called PBMs with a flight range of 3,000 miles are spotted aboard the Curry Tuck. Ships of the Western Group will proceed 10,000 miles south to the Balleny Islands, 860 miles to the west of Little America. Aboard the Mount Olympus, now heading south in the Pacific, Admiral Cruzen gives a traditional command, and up goes a strange flag. The Jolly Roger, signifying the crossing of the equator and authorizing the ancient shenanigans of the sea, whereby all land lovers are painfully presented at King Neptune's court. The veteran shellbacks copperplate the polywog's interiors with a mixture of cylinder oil and chewing tobacco. Next, the polywogs must kiss the bosun's belly, the only kiss they'll have for many a long month. It looked like they're kissing a big Buddha. This guy's got a big beer belly. <laughs> they wind up with a dunking and a final whacking to warm them up, officers and men alike. Wearing the whiskers of Neptunus Caninus, Ricky, the veteran husky, resides as the pups become doggy shellbacks. The oncoming shadow of the Antarctic intensifies preparation. 
bamboo is clipped for trail marker sticks. Mm. These, topped with flags, will form lifelines mm. to guard the men against losing the trail in blinding blizzards. Mm. Small details, but vitally important in the wilderness mm. of ice. Mm -hmm. The dogs are inoculated against infection. Mm -hmm. Now the serious business of the sea takes over. Mm -hmm. Danger menaces the fleet oiler, Kakapon. Mm -hmm. She must fuel the fleet now to lighten her cargo of four million gallons of oil. Mm -hmm. If storms strike her, plates may warm, rivets shear, and her back may be broken. And ahead are the dreaded roaring 40s. Deck parties run with hauling. Roaring 40s. By springing over the Kakapon's captain for a conference. The ships are still on course, forging ahead. But the Kakapon salty skippers smell storm coming. Few ships travel this lonely ocean, so there are no weather reports. We've got to finish this job fast, he roars, or we'll be caught in a stiff blow. And blow she does. He sailed everywhere. 
He was looking for the secret stuff. Hello, yeah, go watch it again. The medicine. Whatever it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyways, hello, he just said doodle. Yeah. Weird. Weird. I don't know. A little America. A daring and dangerous plan. But precedent was made in 1942 by Jimmy Doolittle and his much smaller B-25s. 1942. 1942. 1940s. Okay, 42. Whatever. After the Depression. A little America. A daring and dangerous plan. But precedent was made in 1942 by Jimmy Doolittle and his much smaller B-25s. Tokyo bound from the carrier Hornet. As the Philippine Sea sails on her 10,000-mile voyage, the advance group under cruising has voyaged far south. They sight their first icebergs just above the Antarctic Circle. Careful bearings are taken, for the hulls of these ships are no thicker than was the steel skin of the Titanic. The treacherous ice is the enemy now as then. But danger is the sailor's business. His delight is in preserving home traditions, the Christmas tree and Christmas dinner. Here a second, we'll be right back. And we're back. All the while, engines throb, taking the central group deeper into icebound seas. Now, by the far seeing eye of radar, the bridge learns of land ahead. The flag communications passes the word to the fleet Scott Island, dead ahead. All ships rendezvous. 600 critical miles of their 12,000 mile voyage still to go. The ice pack ahead has been the executioner of many gallant ships. Cruzen summons captains and executive officers for a staff conference. While the staff confers, a small landing boat sets off for Scott Island, named in honor of the heroic British explorer, Captain Robert Falcon Scott, who lost his life a generation ago trying to fight his way back from the South Pole. Surging seas, landing is impossible. The boat heads back from Mount Olympus with serious news. Cruzen must abandon his plan for a weather station here on this rugged submarine mountain. Time presses hard. With his operation officers, Cruzen transfers his flag from Mount Olympus to the Coast Guard icebreaker, North Wind. For she must take the lead, cut the channels. Think of 
League of Legends has gone mobile, and with it, our ability to fight grand battles against monsters and champions. Admiral Cruzen's battle now begins. Through 600 miles of peril, the Admiral must bring his ships to the open Ross Sea, and thus to the Bay of Wales and Little America. Okay, so you go through the pack ice, like a drill, like like the arrow flying through to open the Olympics, right? All right. So you're gonna shoot through that pack ice until you come through the other side, which is called the Ross Sea, like Dross, but not D. No more D, R O S S S E A Ross C. What does that mean? I don't know. Then you land in the Bay of Wales, like Jonah. Then you proceed to Little America. Got it. Cruising signals, follow me, and sets a careful course past icebergs. Archie blows things a lookout. Archie breaches close aboard. These huge whales measure up to 80 feet long, and each yields oil worth more than $2,000. The radar watch informs the bridge they have picked up a big ship, a Norwegian whaler, with her killer craft in close company. The Norsemen report the heaviest ice pack in 40 years. This year, they tell the Americans they're staying to the north of the ice. Norwegian captain urges, exercise extreme caution. The American fleet proceeds. Here is the most treacherous navigation in all the seven seas. With every flow, every berg, a potential killer of ships. Seven-eighths of a berg lies underwater. Its jutting ice foot can slice into a ship like a can opener into a can. Ahead, the sky shows white streaks, the telltale ice blink, the warning reflection in the sky of the great pack. The ships meet their first tabular, the tabletop bird found only in the Antarctic. These tabulars are huge chips from the Great Ice Barrier. They measure as long as 40 miles and are counted not in acres, but in square miles. The ships must... 40 square miles. ...follow a twisting, turning sea alley, cleared by the icebreaker. The submarine, Senate, brings up the rear. U-formed ice, known from its shape as lily pad ice, offers no trouble. Lily pad ice. It is the bergy bits and the bergs themselves that form the hazard for the submarine. A little Adelie penguin comes aboard as pilot and rides the deck for two solid days. So cute. Navy cameramen find new subjects. A group of emperor penguins feeding in the lead. Lookout spot a flock of snow petrels, those hardiest of birds. Admiral Cruzen orders reconnaissance by helicopter and himself boards the plane as observer. For the first time, the helicopter serves as the eyes of the fleet to scout out a way through the ice.
Somewhere to the south, Cruzan hopes to locate better going, perhaps a lead heading toward Little America. Beyond the brash ice, at first he can spot only isolated lakes. At last he sees his lead. Reconnaissance by helicopter has paid off. And just in time. The lead that they're looking for is kind of like, it, it looks like a, a highway through the ice. It's like a straight line, like the crack, basically. Remember the cartoon Ice Age? Yeah, squirrel! Well, the helicopter's gas is running low. The long practice hours of pinpoint landing have not been wasted. The Admiral is safely back aboard. Cruising changes course to head the fleet toward his lead. No open roadstead here. No channel markers. The turn is difficult for the big ships. Now to the men of the fleet comes one of nature's weirdest pictures. The Antarctic twilight. Eerie greens and pastel blues. Men who look grow silent, but long remember. Nor will they forget the dawns and the seals. was to have taken three or four days, but a week has passed, and the task force has made only 100 of the 600 miles across the pack. An emergency radio to the north wind summons instant help. The submarine, Senate, is... Did he say to the four winds, it summons instant help? Narnia, blow the horn. 100 of the 600 miles across the pack. An emergency radio to the north wind summons instant help. The submarine, Senate, is caught. To the north wind? What? One more time, one more time. 100 of the 600 miles across the pack. An emergency radio to the north wind summons instant help. The submarine, Senate, is caught. The jaws of two Senate is caught. Interesting. One more time. 100 of the 600 miles across the pack. An emergency radio to the north wind summons instant help. The submarine, Senate, is caught. The jaws of two ponderous pressure flows have closed in, locking her in a white vice. The submarine is in acute danger of being sunk. month is it? Red October? October? All hands realize now that the Senate may never get through. Cruising signals? Resume course. Meanwhile, the Eastern Group has steamed to Peter the First Island, 1,250 miles north. So there's three groups, remember? The main control group, that's going to go straight to Scott's Island. The second group boats toward 
one that goes toward the uh, I'll say left because that's what it looks like on my screen I don't know the left side was this, this, the, the, the one with the airplanes and then the right the third group goes toward the right side directly to Peter one island I can't make this stuff up dude again Meanwhile, the Eastern Group has steamed to Peter the First Island, 1,250 miles northeast of the main base to be established at Little America. Meanwhile, the Eastern Group has steamed to Peter the First Island, 1,250 miles northeast of the main base to be established at Little America. The Eastern Group's seaplane tender, Pine Island. Meanwhile, the Eastern Group has steamed to Peter the First Island. 1,250 miles northeast of the main base to be established. 1,200. So fast. Meanwhile, the Eastern Group has steamed to Peter the First Island. 1,250 miles northeast of the main base. 1,250. 1,250. Miles north. Of where? North? Of where <laughs> they want to set up their main base. Are you kidding me? Red Sox can win the World Series. ...to be established at Little America. The Eastern Group's seaplane tender, Pine Island, sends a helicopter to scout the rugged coast. Hope is fulfilled when she relocates Scott's 37-year-old camp. This was the base for the ill-fated Britain's expeditions at the turn of the century. What? So this is 75 years after Britain was there. Are you kidding me? 70 years? 70 is important, you guys. 70, 75. Yeah. 37-year-old camp. This was the base for the ill-fated Britain's expeditions at the turn of the century. While the helicopter waits, the Americans look over the hut finding only an abandoned sled. But back at the Pine Island, the helicopter meets trouble. Her rotors heavy... Abandoned shed? Santa's not there, y'all. Santa's not there. The Americans look over the hut, finding only an abandoned sled. But back at the Pine Island, the helicopter meets trouble. Her rotors, heavy with ice, fail. She crashes only a few feet from the safety of the landing deck. <laughs> Within seconds, the Pine Island's crash boat reaches the sinking helicopter. The rescue crewman, drilled for just such an emergency, yank Captain Dufek and his pilot safely aboard. Back at the Central Group, danger increases for the submarine. Crushing ice is now riding up over her decks. She is solidly frozen in. Senate's situation is desperate. Clearly, she cannot undergo further risks. There are 85 men aboard. The ice locking her in is a solid pressure field spotted with birds. She must be taken back. Is Red Sox Boston? Am I saying this? I know nothing about sports, people. The north wind cannot get the fleet through if constantly halted to rescue the submarine. 
Guard icebreaker, North Wind, with Admiral Cruzen in operational command, leaves the ships to await her return from the 400-mile round trip, towing the battered submarine, the Senate, north to the safety of the open sea. 1,200 miles to the west, 10 men set out from the western wing of the expedition on a hunt. For one of the seaplane tender Curatuck's missions is to bring back specimens for the Federal Fish and Wildlife Commission. The marine marksmen storm the ice floes. These seals are armed with tiger-like jaws, easily capable of mangling a man's arm or leg. The men risk the slashing jaws of a master bull himself. He's no calf, he fights to kill. Once secured, he finds out for the first time in his life what it's like to be petted. Hmm, that's not so bad. They total up their catch for the scientists back in Washington. Six leopards and one rare Ross seal. The first Antarctic seal ever to fly through the air with the greatest of ease in a cargo net. Three days later, disaster presses close to the ships of the Central Group, helpless without the icebreaker. Their 2,000 men are marooned in a frozen sea. Below the water lines, damage control crews labor in icy water to shore up the inward closing plates. The lives of all hands are at stake. The radio flashes an SOS to Cruzen, 200 miles to the north. Quickly, he orders the submarine to go on by herself to Scott Island and there operate as a weather reporting station. And now begins a race against time well worthy of high place in the traditions of the United States Coast Guard. flagship Mount Olympus. Already five frames forward stove in, more weakening. Only the north wind can bring salvation to the 2,000 men of the stricken fleet. Dr. Seipel, Army ice veteran, volunteers to test the flows. If the ships must be abandoned, will the ice support the survivors? Cruzen awaits Dr. Seipel's verdict. Seipel reports the ice cannot be trusted. Plowing through these floating icebergs. It's like snow you're hearing. With only two miles to go, the icebreaker is hemmed in by ice 20 feet above water, 50 feet below, in an area as great as 100 acres. Hopelessly gripped by the ice, the cargo ship Merrick is now in grave peril. 
there's a whole Titanic water rushing in. the fleet is now in sight over the pressure ridges. The desperate struggle of the north wind to reach them seems hopeless at times. The icebreaker counts her gain by yards now. Captain Thomas dares passages that normally he would avoid. It's the critical last round, a straight-out slugging match. AP Biology. What does the little Y have to do? There's like a million of Ys, but only one Y gets through into the egg. Yes? Yes. Has to dig. The north wind reaches the nearest ship, the Yancey. Men, and he will lead the way. 
triumph at last for Admiral Cruiser. The entrance to the Bay of Wales, the famous 400-mile Ross Barrier. The Admiral can now relax. He, an American Admiral, has brought a modern fleet for the first time into the innermost waters touching the great unknown continent of Antarctica. This is an historic moment. At long last, Admiral Byrd has realized his dream of many years of reaching little America with men and ships of the United States Navy. Reception committee. Hey, gang, hurry up. Look at the big penguins in our bay. Big penguins, bigger than emperors. Big black mountains that move. They walk like us, but not quite the right way. Come on, gang. You gotta go see what gives. The big penguins and their big black mountains, the ships, are on 24-hour duty with the first job to secure all mooring lines. Big timbers sunk deep in the ice serve as anchors. They're called dead men in sea parlance, perhaps because they're buried. Slip toggles are rigged for quick release in case ice forces an emergency getaway. Unloading, reconnaissance planes first, next hauling equipment. The Marine Corps weasels, heavy-duty caterpillars, and trucks, 40 in all. Here are no port facilities, but the Navy shows its self-sufficiency as it did throughout the war in operating at sea without bases or with improvised bases. Here are no docks or roads, yet all freight aboard three heavily laden ships is hauled two miles over the ice up to Little America. Dogs next, a barking, tugging boatload of huskies. And the pups, growing fatter and bigger every day. All are happy with the welcome smell of snow in their nostrils. This is home. This is fun. But this is work, too, for time is short. The dogs must haul their share of the tonnage. Halt. Trouble ahead. Pressure ridges blocked the way inland to Little America. Even the largest caterpillars are stalled. The call goes out for dynamite crews, Navy's trained demolition teams, seasoned on enemy beaches. They must blast the 50-foot ridges, clear the way to meet the expedition timetable. Bridges are deep. The blasting takes hours. CBs and their bulldozers follow, smooth out the road for the big cats. In two hours, they bridge crevasses 100 feet deep. And so 10,000 tons of gear brought down by the cargo ships start moving up to Little America. Work goes steadily forward. CBs, with all hands helping, use every one of the 24 hours of daylight in the South Pole summer. Caterpillars with snowshoe oversized treads accomplish in hours the work that in old days hundreds of dogs could do only in weeks. Airstrips, smoothed out with drags, take high priority. Bird has flashed word from the Philippine Sea, now standing by off the pack ice, that he's ready to fly his R4Ds in. It's up to the work parties to make up the time lost in the pack ice. Up to these men to work while gusty winds drive flesh-cutting gravel-like snow across the open, or to dig deep for storehouse foundations. Food dumps grow steadily. Here is the favorite hangout of the veteran husky, Ricky. Born at Little America 12 years before, and still hungry. Each hour brings other buildings to completion. Knockdown Wanigans grow magically. And the air headquarters Quonset is ready. 
snow blocks are dug out for windbreaker walls. These blocks are the adobe of Little America. Good idea, scoffs the sidewalk superintendent of the base. Good idea. These big penguins do right well to bear in mind that when she blows down here, she's liable to blow your eyelashes off. The little Adelie shows no fear. What? Smoke? Silly idea. The ships are all but empty. The caterpillars and go-devils live up to their wartime good name. Within 70 hours, the CBs are hauling in the last 500 tons of essentials. Only a few more cases to be broken out. The local waterworks is the pride of the CBs. Three GI cans of snow produce one can of water, purest in the world. You keep your furnace going, which makes steam, which melts snow, which makes water. Simple. Simple once CB Engineering in Washington had figured it out before ever the first ship left port. And now, the ordered streets of a tent city that is Little America the Fourth come into being where three days before the primeval snow lay unbroken. The church flag on the first Sunday signifies a pause for prayers. After the last mass and after the Protestant and Jewish services, the off-duty sailors have but one thought. Transportation has but one terminal, the mess hall, the best dinner of the week, as ancient Navy tradition always has decreed. Admirals and captains wait their turn in the chow line with the men. Inside, plates are loaded. Roast beef, rich gravy, high mounds of mashed potatoes, flaky pie. Life looks up again. A cigarette, good coffee. Five miles east of Little America, a seal herd, 500 strong, has its feeding ground amongst pressure ridges and in deep crevasses. Ricky, as a pup, played the game of run, seal, run, and he hasn't forgotten. The seal wallops with his tail. Ricky's 12-year-old teeth are not so good on the slippery, wet hide of the 600-pound Waddell. Mr. Seal decides he's had enough. He scuttles down his escape hatch to the water below. Chow time. The only seals killed are for dog meat, especially good because it ensures against scurvy. The pups smell their dinner coming and let their handler plainly know they want it, right now. They're only a few months old and forever hungry. Yet soon they will be pulling more than their weight in the sledge traces. They like their meat red and will fight for it. The flagship flashes word by radio to the carrier Philippine Sea. Base ready, weather suitable. On the carrier, six planes, triple checked, are ready for their moment of destiny. Admiral Byrd has given the pilots a final briefing. Everything depends on split-second timing. Pilots, man your plane. No 3,000-foot runway here. Only a scant 300 feet. Jet propulsion is their reliance. Crewmen attach jet containers, four to a plane. These JATO bottles are packed with flaming power. In the critical 10 seconds of takeoff, they give the kick-up of two added engines. is airborne in exactly 100 feet.
Eagle Bird and his companion plane will try the 800-mile flight first. The others await his orders. At Little America, cameramen and Admiral Cruzen wait anxiously. And there comes Bird. Cruzen can relax now. The skis work perfectly. The carefully calculated drag of the wheels serves only to shoot up a plume of snow. Bird greets his son, Dickie Jr., first, here following Dad's footsteps. They watch plane number two come in safely. Bird tells Cruzen, good to be home again. Cruzen has urgent news. There's a terrific storm brewing, only 10 hours more of safe flying. Bird radios the carrier, launch all planes as soon as possible. By midnight, the Philippine Sea has the remaining four planes ready. They must risk a takeoff in darkness before the terror of the storm strikes. 